Amen. Worthy is the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why you're here, is to worship Jesus. That being said, grab a Bible and turn to the New Testament, to the, turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Carillion Red Pew Bible somewhere in front of you. and You can grab it and turn to page 863. And you will find Luke chapter 7 there. We're going to read verses 11 through 17 uh, this morning as we continue our sermon series through the gospel of Luke. I went to take a swig of water before the sermon because I thought, you know, it's nice to wet your whistle. And it went down the wrong hole. So if I cough at any point in the sermon, don't get too nervous, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Hear God's word this morning. Right after Jesus has healed a centurion's servant by simply saying the word, verse 11 says, Soon afterward, talking about Jesus, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and arrest our attention this morning so that we would be focused, mind, heart, eyes, and ears upon Jesus this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What grips you this morning? Is it concern about COVID? It seems as if in all the conversations I've had in the past week, uh, COVID has been one of the main topics of conversation, discussion, as there have been uptick in cases. People have been fearful. Many are still afraid of COVID. Loved ones that you have are sick, friends you have are sick with COVID. In the midst of COVID, there are always friends and family members that are being diagnosed with cancer. I don't know of any other disease that can seem to suck all of the oxygen out of a room like cancer. 
I will confess to you that my mind this morning is dominated and gripped by the events that have been transpiring in Afghanistan, particularly how they relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ over there. I've read stories about how the Taliban are, are seizing people's cell phones, and if anyone has an a Bible app on their cell phone like I have and use often that they will immediately execute them on the spot. My mind, my heart, it's gripped by that situation this morning. What grips you? What has your attention? What has you worried? What has you afraid? Many in our covenant family are gripped by grief this morning. We've had some people in our church family lose loved ones. Some of you have lost friends recently, and you're gripped by grief this morning. And if I was to look at all these situations I've just described, the reality is that many of us are worried about death and dying. There are a lot of quotes you could quote about death. Jim Morrison, the the former lead singer of The Doors, said, No one here gets out alive. It's been said in a more humorous way that there are two certainties in life. What are they? Death and taxes. Woody Allen humorously said, It's not that I'm afraid of dying. I just don't want to be here when it happens. What grips you? For many of us, the fear of death grips us. And that's significant today because the situation we read about in this passage of Scripture this morning describes death and how grief has gripped one particular family. It's a tragedy of a situation. There's a woman here in this passage that is a widow, and that means her husband has already died, and now her only son has died. And so she's left in this world helpless and probably feeling hopeless because all of her providers and all of her protectors in the first century were gone. But what happens in this passage is that Although she's gripped by grief and gripped by fear and gripped by hopelessness, by the end of the passage, she's gripped by Jesus. And friends, the reality is all of us come into this sanctuary this morning gripped by someone or something that dominates our minds, that dominates our attention, that dominates our concerns and our fears. And what we gather here for this morning is to have our minds and our hearts and our lives recalibrated so that we leave here this morning gripped by Jesus. And that's my prayer for you this morning as we investigate this passage of Scripture this morning is that you would leave here this morning gripped by Jesus. There are at least two reasons why we should leave here this morning gripped by Jesus. There are a multitude of reasons we should leave here gripped by Jesus. But I just want to focus on two reasons that this passage highlights. Two of the reasons it highlights. And the two of these reasons why you should leave here this morning gripped by Jesus has to do with who Jesus is. The first reason you should leave here gripped by Jesus is because Jesus is 
is a compassionate Savior. He's a compassionate Savior. Take a look at that in verses 11 through 14. It says here, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. This passage that we're reading this morning is only recorded in Luke's gospel. You remember we began our sermon series in Luke uh, last year, and in the first couple verses of Luke, Luke describes to Theophilus how he set out to give us an orderly account of Jesus' life death, burial, and resurrection. So it, it seems in accord with what Luke has set out to do that in his thorough investigation about Jesus that he comes across some testimonies. He comes across some events and circumstances in the life of Jesus that the other gospel writers do not include. And it says here that soon after Jesus has healed the, the centurion's servant by simply saying to him, be healed, that now Jesus and his disciples roll into the town of Nain, which is about 25 miles south of Capernaum. Remember, at this point, Capernaum was Jesus' home base for ministry. And as Jesus rolls into Nain, here's what is the situation that he encounters. Verse 12, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. What's the significance here? Well, as Jesus rolls into the town and begins making his way to the town, he's greeted at the city gate by a funeral procession that's underway. Something you need to understand about that situation and circumstance is that no burial would have occurred in a Jewish town. A dead body was considered ceremonially unclean. And so for those to, uh, that were Jewish that came in contact with a dead body, they would have been considered ceremonial unclean and would have been uh, ceremonially unclean for seven days, for a full week. And as they begin making their way out of the town, Jesus greets them. Now at this time, it was common that the whole village would have been part of the funeral procession. And so Jesus is greeted by this huge crowd, and Jesus has noticed something as he makes his way towards this funeral procession. He noticed that there's a young boy on the coffin. The coffin would have been an open-framed casket. He notices that the young man is so young, he's not married. It's not a, a young woman that's grieving his loss. And he notices there are no brothers or sisters grieving his loss. He notices there's no father grieving his loss. But leading the processional out was his mother and his mother alone. And what does it say happens in verse 13? And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Why should you leave here this morning gripped by Jesus? There are a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons is that Jesus is a compassionate Savior. What's special about this miracle is that no one begs Jesus to fix this situation. No one calls on Jesus to do anything, not even the grieving mother. But Jesus is moved 
with compassion because of the scene that he sees here. And it says that as Jesus makes his way towards the mother, he looks at her graciously and says, what? Do not weep. Do not weep. And then it says something marvelous. That he comes up to the casket and he touches it. No other rabbi would have done that. Do you know why? Because to come in contact with that dead body would have made them ceremonially unclean. But our Lord Jesus is so moved with compassion, he touches the casket and the funeral procession stops. Why should Jesus grip you this morning? Because you serve a compassionate Savior. I went to seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we had chapel twice a week there. One of the chapel services was just a prayer chapel. We would go into the chapel and just pray. And then the other service was a worship service where we would have either one of the professors would preach. Occasionally they would allow a senior student to preach. But I'll never forget on one instance, one occasion, we had a missionary to India come and preach at our seminary chapel service. Not only was he a missionary serving in India, but he was also a theological professor. And he shared about how many of the students that he had were training for ministry and that they would go into further into India and that they would be martyred for their faith. And so he said most of the people that he, that he taught studied under the shadow of the reality that they would die soon for their faith. After the chapel service, some of us met with him in one of our classes and we asked him for his testimony about how he came to faith in Christ. And he said that prior to coming to faith in Christ, he was a good Hindu. And so he was part of the Hindu faith, the Hindu religion. But he said he heard a missionary preach on John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And he said the part that gripped him the most, that the Holy Spirit used to grip him about that account, one of the only the three instances in the Gospels where we, it's recorded that Jesus resurrected someone from the dead, is here. And then in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, and then we have Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Well, this missionary said that when he heard someone preach about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, there are two words that the Holy Spirit used to grip his heart. It was this, Jesus wept. And I'll never forget that man saying, no Hindu God would ever weep for me. And so the Holy Spirit used those words of Scripture to grip his heart. And to ultimately bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God. The one and only true triune God. And he looked at us and he said, friends, that kind of compassion you cannot find in any other major world religion. Some of you may be investigating the Christian faith. You may have friends or family members that are investigating the Christian faith. 
you won't find that kind of compassion in Allah. Allah is more like the deistic God of somehow winding up the world and being distant and disconnected from creation. In control of it, yes, but not intimately involved with it. More of in a fatalistic kind of way. You won't find this kind of compassion in Buddha. Buddhism, I don't know why anybody would be drawn to Buddhism. You know know what Buddhism longs for? It isn't heaven. They long to just basically cease to exist just to be like another drop of water that's dropped into the ocean. Well, that's pleasant. What we have in the Christian faith is something remarkable. That God affirms His creation, that He's created us with our... Each one of us with our own unique abilities and gift sets and with our own unique personalities. And he still maintains that as he brings us to faith in him. He just sanctifies it. What we have in our Lord Jesus is a God who is compassionate. He's a compassionate Savior. It says in the Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but he's been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. What does that tell us? It tells us that we have a, a Savior that is compassionate, who understands, who weeps when we weep and intercedes on our behalf. Why should you leave here this morning gripped by Jesus? Because he's a compassionate Savior. J.C. Ryle says this, Our Lord Jesus Christ never changes. His heart is still as compassionate as when he was on the earth. His sympathy with sufferers is still as strong. Let us bear this in mind and take comfort in it. If you're grieving this morning, you're gripped by grief, do you know why you should find comfort in your Lord Jesus? He's conquered sin and death. But he feels your pain. He feels your suffering because Jesus knows the root cause of death is sin. That back in the garden when Adam rebelled against God, that that is the the foundation and the root of all physical death that we experience in this world. And thus, in the garden, we see the root of all grief. It's sin. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures say. But the gospel encourages us that we have a God who's worthy of our worship in Christ because he's compassionate enough to offer solution to our predicament. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. Do you see the compassion of your Savior, that even when you were at your worst, He had compassion on you enough to be in your place, to go to the cross in your place and die in your place, to offer you reconciliation with Himself and eternal life. Oh, my friends, I pray today that you leave here today gripped by who Jesus is. And his compassion. I pray you not only leave here today gripped by Jesus' compassion, but I pray you would leave here today gripped by Jesus' power. 
Look at that in verse 14 and following. It says that Jesus came up and he touched the beer and the, beer, the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Picture the scene. Jesus comes upon the funeral procession. Jesus doesn't have to do any arduous labor. He doesn't even have to pray an arduous prayer. What does he say? He simply looks at the young man, says to him, arise. You see the power of Jesus? That simply by the power of his spoken word, as he had said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. We see in the book of book of Genesis, how God creates everything by the power of your spoken word. And now we see here, not only that Jesus has the power to give life, but the power to give, give life back to someone simply through the power of a spoken word. Are you gripped by Jesus this morning? You should be. You should be gripped by his power. That he's able to conquer death with simply speaking a word. Arise. And what does it say happens? Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. In other words, proof that Jesus' words, Jesus' command, his imperative comes true. It's interesting that in the Gospels, there are three situations where Jesus resurrects someone from the dead. We have this account here of Jesus raising the widow's son. Later on in chapter 8 of Luke's gospel, we will see Jesus resurrect Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then we also have Lazarus being resurrected from the dead in John chapter 11. All commentators and scholars are in agreement that Jesus is very pointed when he calls these people to, to, to sit up, to arise, to resurrect from the dead. Because if he just gave a blanket command, then all of the dead bodies and all the tombs would have resurrected at that moment. And so all scholars are in agreement that Jesus is pointed in his command because of his power. It's also interesting in all three of those instances that when the dead is resurrected, do you know what Jesus immediately does? He gives those people back to their families. He gives his son to his mother. He gives the daughter of Jairus back to Jairus. And then he gives Lazarus back to his two sisters. Showing his care even in the midst of his power. But something interesting happens in verse 16 that we need to dig a little deeper to see how this highlights Jesus' power. It says in verse 16 that fear seized them all and they began glorifying God continuously saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. On the surface you would think, okay, it's progressive revelation. They're trying to wrestle with who Jesus is and how he's resurrected this young man from the dead. But there's something deeper going on here that I don't want you to miss. See, in the Old Testament, there are two instances when prophets resurrect someone from the dead. The first instance is with the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a widow's son. If you remember, the widow had, had fed Elijah, and eventually the widow's son dies. And so Elijah cries out to God. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 17 that, that Elijah places himself... Over the child three times, and then he prays this prayer. 
O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again, and it does. There's another instance where Elisha resurrects someone from the dead. It's a Shunammite son. And in this, in this setting, it's in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha goes to the Shunammite son, and it says that Elisha places himself, very awkward scene in the scriptures, even awkward to talk about, but it's the Bible, so I've got to be clear, that Elisha lays himself right on top of the Shunammite son. It says that basically mouth to mouth, hands to hand, head to head, feet to feet. And eventually, God brings warmth and life back into that person. So when the people here say, look, a great prophet has risen among us, they're saying about Jesus, look, we haven't seen power like this in Israel since the power of Elijah and Elisha. But what's different? Jesus doesn't have to pray any arduous prayer. He doesn't have to lay himself three times in all that awkward situation. All Jesus does is he simply says the word, arise. And the young man sets up and begins talking. I don't misread what it says when it says, and God had visited his people. It wasn't that God was just in the neighborhood and thought he'd stop by and borrow a cup of sugar. No, when they say God has visited his people, they mean that this is obvious, that this is God's power. This is a redeeming, redemptive act that has just occurred among us. And so what is the scripture telling us here? That Jesus is God. That Jesus is worthy of our worship because he has the power to raise the dead as he raises this young man here. Here's what I think the church needs to do in focusing its attention right now in the world. We need to preach repent. Let's face it, we've got a global pandemic. And I've heard a lot of preachers talk about vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask. We've seen a lot of things transpiring in the Middle East right now. We see all kinds of hurricanes and things. Things that have happened or continue to happen will happen. But you know what I'm not hearing enough coming from the lips of preachers in the evangelical church today? Repent. Whenever it seems like all hell is breaking loose, literally, do you know what a good posture for the Christian church is to have? Repent. Because God is trying to get our attention. He's reminding us that life is brief and death is real. And he's showing us that what matters most is eternity. Many of you are nervous about your children and your grandchildren, about whether or not they will make it to ball practice this week or whether or not they'll get their homework accomplished. 
Those things are important. I'm not saying you don't be a part of them. But let me ask you this question. A hundred years from now, how important will their ball practice and their homework be? It won't. I'm concerned about how tight my suits are fitting because y'all sent us a lot of good, delicious treats when we were in quarantine. But a hundred years from now, guess what? It's not going to matter how well this suit fits or doesn't fit. Why? I'll be with Jesus. Friends, we need to have our hearts gripped by the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And what we see in this passage is that our Savior is worthy of our worship because he is compassionate and he's capable. He's capable of saving us, he's capable of sustaining us, and he's capable of resurrecting us from the dead. And in this this whole situation and circumstance of Jesus resurrecting this young man from the dead, I don't want you to miss the redemptive significance of it for your life. It highlights the doctrine of the resurrection. That if Jesus has the power to resurrect this young man from the dead, then Jesus has the power to resurrect you from the dead and your loved ones from the dead someday. He has the power to give you eternal life. But even more so than that, or likewise with that, Jesus has the power to bring us spiritually back to life. We see in this healing, not only the the doctrine of the resurrection, but we see the doctrine of regeneration. That the scriptures tell us that we all are spiritually dead and we need Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so my friends, Jesus has that power today just as he did that day. And that's my prayer, is that for some of you that maybe are here this morning, but spiritually you've been dead, not walking with Christ, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would move in your heart and your life even this day, even in this hour, so that you might walk out of this sanctuary a new person changed for eternity. And for those of us that are walking with Jesus, my prayer is that we would leave this house of worship today gripped not by fear, gripped not by worrying, not gripped any longer by grief, but gripped by our Lord Jesus. Because we know he cares and we know he's capable. He's compassionate and he's powerful. To bring us to spiritual life and to give us eternal life. May that truth about who Jesus is grip your mind, grip your heart, grip your life, and grip you in your final moments on this earth. May Jesus be the one that grips you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, you are my strength when I am weak. You're the treasure that I seek. We want you to be our all in all. And Father, we pray that as a report about our Lord Jesus spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding country, we pray that this gospel, this good news that Jesus can and will Jesus cares and can 
save you. Would be the hope for us as a church. Would be a hope that we offer to our friends and family members, our neighbors and our co-workers as they're gripped by fear and worry. We pray, Lord, that we would live our lives gripped by your love, your grace, and your mercy. And that even in our last moments here on earth, we would be gripped by you. So that we know that when the roll is called up yonder, we will be there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.